Well, we have a lot to be thankful for today. Is that correct? And we said that it's your breath in our lungs. Everybody take a deep breath again. We always do this on a regular basis. And let it out. Compliments of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I was thinking about that song. It took on a new meaning when Wendy and I had COVID, whenever that seemed like light years ago. Barely could breathe. Couldn't even make it down these steps. I didn't. I was out of work for over a month. Couldn't walk from here to there. And every day I'd say, Wendy, I'm going to walk that far. I'm going to make it there. And so when I sing that song, just to be able to breathe and to understand how good God is, it is He who gives us the life that we have. And we should be grateful and thankful about that. Have an attitude of gratitude at all times is how we should live. Well, if you have your Bibles today, let's turn back to 1 Corinthians 7. If you're a guest with us, we're glad you're here today. Please do make sure you guests and members alike fill out that Connect card because it's important to us to connect with you. So we, if you have information that you want us to change, and we, we have a lot of people missing their birth dates, in the, so you don't get a happy birthday from us if you don't put down your birthday. We can tell how old you are by the way you look, just for the record, okay? Uh, not, even if you're in the 30 to 39-year-old class and you're, you're cranking 70, we probably can tell, just for the record. So if you would, update your birthday information. That's good for us as a church to help you and connect with you. And if there's another invitation coming to you in your age group, you won't get it if you don't have your information in our system. So just FYI, that's uh, helpful for us, and it could be helpful for you in the future if you miss, so you won't miss out on something. And also make sure your emails are corrected. If you change emails or use a different one, that's important for us. And the most important part, of course, is the prayer request. How may we pray? And we're seeing prayers answered. I don't know if you're seeing prayers answered in your life. I don't know how you're praying, but I believe in rushing quickly to the throne of God and praying and asking God for the things that's on my heart, on my mind, and what other people bring uh, to my attention. So I want to encourage you, fill that out, connect with us, and we'll connect back with you if you want us to connect and, and get together. That's, is that enough connection this week? We made enough connections, Mike? We, that's a joke in house. How many times can we say the word connect? We want to get together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we've been talking some time now. Paul, has, he's writing to the church at Corinth, which is there. It's a Roman city, and it's a seaport city, so sailor town on both sides. It's a four-mile isthmus, if you will, and we know, I've told you when we started, they would bring a ship in the harbor and then put it up on rollers or any way they could figure it out to actually carry it around to the other port. It would go across a four-mile land bridge with a boat just so they could actually save all that wind damage and all the damage of the seas going around the, the, um, around the peninsula. So I want to encourage you, if you go back and look, and, and sometimes I want to bring out maps and show you where on the world in the Mediterranean it is and want to do a lot of teaching before I do preaching, but time obviously is a restraint for us. But go look where the town of Corinth is still alive today. It's still there, and uh, now they've dug a canal. For those four miles now, there's this huge ravine, if you will. They've dug for four miles, and you can actually go take a pleasure cruise through the, this Corinthian canal. So it's actually the four miles of land is gone, and it's now just a really narrow uh, strip of water that goes through that you can actually still cruise today. So this is, was a Roman uh, city, port city, sinful city, and we compare it to Las Vegas, if you will, sin city. This is what this is the church at Corinth. Paul preached there. He established Christians. People truly did become Christians. People truly did receive the Holy Spirit. And then they didn't have a Bible like you and me. And many of them were Gentiles, which all Gentile means is non-Jew. So there's only two people in the world when it comes to when you're reading the Bible. There's the Jew, the born Jew, and then there's the non-Jew. Jew means, I mean, Gentile means people of the nations, just every other nation except for a Jewish person. So if you're Jew and Gentile, are Jew and Greek, 
that, that's used in your Bible sometimes. That just means the Jewish people and everybody else. That's all it means, the people of the nations. So in 1 Corinthians 7, we have record that they, the church at Corinth has written Paul instructions because all kind of people are saying all kind of things, right? Let's, let's do a little sample really quick. Who did not grow up in church, kind of like this is not your thing in church, ever, say from ages uh, birth to 15, who did not go to church? Raise your hand. All right. All right. Who, went, who did not go to church age 15 to, say, 25? Anybody? Okay. All right. Who was born in church? You were on the crater roll nine months before, uh, before church had even started, before you could even wait. Raise your hand. All right. And who's sometimes you come to church, you didn't come to church till later on in life? Raise your hand. All right. So look, so we got everybody in between. So what happens is you have your opinion of church, do you not? You can say, well, my church is, and, and our church you should, and we even have denominations. Why do we have so many crazy denominations in the world? Why, why do people split over silliest of things, right? Jesus Christ is the primary, amen? Without Christ, there is no church. So the Corinthian church was the same way. They come from all different backgrounds. There's some Jewish people there. There's some Gentiles there. The world's there. They're living in Sin City. There's a big temple there dedicated to a reproductive God, so you can imagine what happened in Sin City when you could go to the temple and worship, quote-unquote, with the temple prostitutes. There was over a 1,000 temple prostitutes. They were called prophetess during the day, and then at night they would come down into the town, and then they would have another religious ceremony, if you know what I mean. I know the children in here, in the evening. So uh, they would shave their heads. You could tell who they were by the way they looked, and, and during the day it was worship. At night it was a different type of what they deemed worship. So the city is really sick with everything that seems like America is sick with today. Well, the church gets together, and in the church in the church, there's people, say, from different backgrounds. And Paul's even talked about, hey, if I eat a certain type of meat dedicated to this God, and they had a bunch of gods they made up, if, if you basically worship, gave your sacrifice, and what would happen is they would make the sacrifice, they would kill the animal, say a lamb, they would offer the lamb, they would roast it, they would actually burn it before the God, the blood before the God, and then you had this nice lamb left over, you had a roasted lamb. Anybody like lamb chops? Paul did too. Are you beef? You get. I love lamb chops. And you can go to the market and actually buy. If you've ever been overseas, you can buy almost anything on the street overseas. When I was in the military, amazing. And we're going on mission trips. You basically eat off the street. There's stuff hanging. There's stuff rotisseries. There, there's stuff smoking. There's there's always something, something steaming, something to eat on the streets as you go. And so that's how you would do. You'd walk to the market and all these animals that were dedicated to. Uh, whatever God was on sale. So this would be the Moloch sale. Uh, this would be the God of Moloch. He, he, he would have all this meat, and the proceeds went back to their, just like a potluck or a church dinner. Uh, they would have a cookout, and then basically the money would go back into their processes of doing it all over again. And you could buy a nice steak or a nice lamb chop, and it was good. And if you had a clear conscience and you didn't worship that God, you could go eat whatever you wanted to eat. You just say, I'll take one of those, one of those. And it was a good price because they're cooking all the, all the time because... That's the way the religious system would work. This is trappings of the religion of the world. But what Paul says, if, you, if a meat and somebody says, hey, this has been dedicated to Moloch. I can't eat that meat because I used to be trapped up in that religion. God saved me from that. Paul says, I'll never eat meat again. I will not cause a, a, a less mature brother or sister to stumble. Well, the church today, there's rules, right? You gotta, women have to wear dresses down to their ankles. Women have to have long hair, short hair. Women can't wear makeup. They can't wear makeup. 
uh, we're under covenant. If my mom and daddy saved, then I'm saved. There's all kind of crazy things that people will make up, and there's man-made rules. Do you understand that? And I've told you there, there's man-made rules in every church if you're not careful. So thank God, and I'm not saying we're a perfect church because we do have bylaws. We actually have rules that we agree to as a church. And even as a Southern Baptist church, we agree in a less broader sense. We just handshake together with other churches. We're not under any denominational title that tells us what to do. We're an independent church, but even in an independent church, we have to make decisions on budgets. We have to make decisions on what we will tolerate, what we won't tolerate, because we want all people to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. So when someone comes up and says, what about speaking in tongues? Boy, that could be a topic, can it not? We have churches dedicated to people who speak in tongues, do we not? Uh, what about drinking alcohol? We have churches dedicated to, oh, we have freedom in Christ, and we drink even at communion. We'll drink actual alcohol at communion. That's how free we are. Because the Bible says wine, we're drinking wine, right? And then we have us, says, oh, we believe it's symbolic. We drink grape juice because, God forbid, you have your first taste of liquor or wine at church. Amen? That's just what I believe because I was led astray by it years ago if you're not careful. Listen, we set up things in the church so that we say, God, how does this honor you? And so we look at everything we do. We don't look at necessarily the color of the carpet or the pews, even though y'all know one day, look, everybody look at the carpet and the pews. We're going to have to replace them one day. Did y'all know that? We've replaced all the carpets to the whole building. One day it's coming to a town near you. Well, who gets to pay for this? Raise your hand if you, think, if you know the answer. We do, because this is our building, right? Anybody that gives to it pays for it, and I, I'm pretty sure, I can almost tell you with assurance, we're not going back with this color. All right? <clears throat> Just saying. All right, but here's what I want you to understand. Everybody will have their opinion. But is every opinion, even if you're sincere, does it always count? No. If God's Word overrides your opinion, your opinion really is it's, it's fruitless. It, it doesn't matter what you're saying, because if God has spoken on it, why would it matter? So our friends, and let me give you one more example. We'll show, we'll show this by example in the scripture. There were people saying, listen, you've got to remain celibate and single because you cannot marry anyone in Corinth. If you marry somebody in Corinth, you never know where they've been, right? You marry one of them dirt bags, right? And it would basically say, if you were actually considered uh, a party animal, they would say, well, he parties like a Corinthian or he's been a Corinthian. It was actually a slang from the town. So you just stay single and celibate, and you never have to worry about you're right with Jesus. Is that right? Well, no, that's not correct, because how many of you are married? Raise your hand. You're in violation of that person's that they've said, no, you can't. You cannot enjoy marriage because you might get into sin. Well, then there was the married people saying, listen, no, the only proper way to be right with God is to be married. Is that correct? No, God ordained marriage, Adam and Eve, in the, in the garden, but listen, can you be single for all of your life? Yeah, the Lord even says there's some people who are born eunuchs, some people who are made eunuchs by men, and some people who choose to be eunuchs for the glory of God. Some people who, there's singleness. So he spoke to singleness. He spoke to the married. He spoke to the widow. If your husband dies or your wife dies, he spoke to that in, in verse, uh, chapter 7. He even spoke to the, the divorced people that were there actually in, the, in their congregation because there were a bunch of them because immorality was rampant. People were choosing to make their own decisions. And he even spoke to the people who are married and separated. Is that a possibility? We're going to look and see. So they wrote a letter saying, should we stay single? Should we never touch a woman? Should we never touch a man? If I became a Christian after we got married and my husband is not a Christian, should I live with that devil, right? 
Should I live with that crazy woman who's like Satan? Am I joining with Satan because she's not saved? Paul says he's going to address that. Listen, he addresses everything we think about today in the Word of God. This is 2,000 years old, and he's still, listen, God's Word speaks for eternity. Amen? So look, is it easy? No, Paul's going to give us some hard things. I, I put all this up front so you would, listen, this is a heavy lift today, all right? So last week was heavy lift, this week's a heavy lift, and I have the children in the room, so I understand that, all right? So it's going to be even a heavier lift on me. Pray for me. Let's get into the Word. 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, I'm writing you a letter back responding to what you've asked me about. The church had questions. Now, they didn't have scriptures like we do. They had the Old Testament. The Jewish people could read the Hebrew Old Testament, but Paul is writing actually scripture. So what they have, you have right now, all right? So we're going to pick up in verse 17. If you missed it last week, you can go back and listen. Oh, and by the way, I want to address something. Somebody asked me, which was a great question last week, and I meant to cover it. Paul says, when I speak and not the Lord, he's saying the Holy Spirit has anointed me as an apostle to give you something additionally than what's been written, meaning there's more to the story, if you will. But if he says the Lord, not I, he's saying it's already written in the Old Testament or Jesus has already spoken on this issue, so I'm just quoting what he says. Okay, So don't think that Paul is outrunning God because every word in the Bible is inspired by God. So sometimes that'll trip you up. And it, when I first read it, I'm like, whoa, what's he saying? Is he saying he knows something better than God? That's not what he's saying at all. Under the power of the Holy Spirit, he's saying, if the Lord has spoken on it, he says, the Lord, not I. That means I'm not giving you a new command because you can look it up yourself. And if he says, I, not the Lord, he's saying, this is what the Holy Spirit has given to me. And he's even going to give us an opinion. He's going to watch this. Let's read. It's really a nice letter, but very hard. It's, it's a kind of a punch you in the face kind of letter. All right, here we go. Verse 17. But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches, not just here, this is not just in Corinth. This is every church he goes to, including Town Creek Baptist Church. He hadn't been here, but the word's here. He's going to ask a few questions, all right? That's how you find answers. Is that not correct? Ask a question. Was anyone called while circumcised? That's a Jewish person. That's somebody in the Jewish faith. Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? That's the Gentiles. Let him not be circumcised, because there were people in the church saying, you cannot be a true faithful follower of Christ. The Jewish people were saying, you can't love Jesus. You can't really serve him unless you come to a special place in the church and all you men got to be circumcised. Anybody want to take him up on that later on in life? Yeah, I, I, don't, I think I'm going to try the other religion, right? Right? But imagine if there was a, and it could be, listen, as crazy as our world is, there could be the church of the circumcised, right? Because if you haven't been circumcised, you can't come to our church. That's what they were saying. They were saying, listen, you don't belong to Jesus. You don't love him unless you've had this surgery, this delicate surgery. And if you don't know what circumcision is, I would encourage you to look it up after church. It's not funny. And then they would turn back around and some of the men, we talked about last week, would have cosmetic surgery so they would fit in with culture so they could take the public baths, the Roman baths. They would take public baths, like, kind of like sitting in a sauna together, like if you've ever been to the gym, uh, they would, but they would have no clothes on. And so if you were a Jewish man who had been circumcised, the uncircumcised would be like, oh my word, you're not one of us. And if you don't know the difference, I, I, I can't explain it from up here, but I'll meet you after church, but the the... I had to explain it to teenage boys, and then they all took a bathroom break. You can imagine. So you don't know if you don't know. But the Bible speaks openly about the Word of God. is very clear to this life. People were having cosmetic surgery so they would fit in culturally so they could take a public bath and not be called out because they were of a different form of religion, because of their former life, their B.C. before Christ. 
So these men were putting themselves through torture. Paul says, stay as you are. Ever how you were called, remain that way. Verse 19, he talks about even more. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Did you all understand that? And that what matters is in italics, means it's not in the original. Keeping God's commands is what matters. So are the commands of God still legitimate today? Yes, the only thing that didn't cross over that we don't have cross over that Jesus spoke about from the Ten Commandments, and by the way, there's over 668 commandments in the Bible. The only thing that didn't cross over were all the dietary restrictions. We don't have those as, as, non, as Jews today. Even the Jewish person doesn't have that restriction. And of the Ten Commandments, the only one that didn't cross over to the New Testament is the Sabbath day. Jesus said, you do not understand Scripture because the Pharisees were like, you can't do anything on the Sabbath, Right? They made up a rule. Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not the man for Sabbath. Do you think Jesus wants you to take a break every seven days? Yes, you were made to, to stop every seven days. Even secular scientists are saying the body works in sevens. The week works in sevens, right? And so God designed it that you would rest because he knows we get tired. He knows our bodies are broken. And they'll, they'll break down quicker when you don't sleep or don't rest. So he says this. This is nothing, and this is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. And somebody asked Jesus, aren't you glad, in the New Testament, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? He goes, okay, I'll tell you. Number one, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Number two is just like it. Love your neighbor as you, what? Love yourself. How many people hate themselves today? We hear about mental illness on the rise. People are, 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 are the shooting up in Maine. People are, are being, I believe, demon-possessed to do things What's happening in Israel and up in Maine, it takes a demon to push a man or human woman to do that. So that's, I don't believe that demon possession is not a, a mental illness, just for the record, okay? But I believe prescription medications over and over, when people take those things, they give themselves over to a type of witchcraft. They give themselves over to hallucinogenins. Uh, can you say it? Say it with for me. My brain is tied up today. It makes you crazy, right? All right. Here's what I want you to see. When Paul is writing to the church, he's going to say to them, watch this. He's going to transition. Verse 20. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. What does that even mean? How do you remain there? What did God call you? If you were single, stay single. Up until when? God calls you to be married. Because what's happening is, has there ever been a religion that says you cannot get married? Anybody that's been called as a man in our religion can't get married. Yeah, it's called the Roman Catholic Church. And what's happened in the Roman Catholic Church through all the years, how much abuse has happened because there was a desire to marry and there was a desire to have children. And what's happened to the church, they call themselves the church, Roman Catholic Church, abuse on top of abuse. And now that's bleeding over into the evangelical churches, any other church. Uh, there's been monks and monasteries that's been, they move up into the mountains to get away from everybody to self-torture themselves so they can never maybe talk or they can never have a relationship outside of themselves that has to be isolated their whole life. Could you imagine living that way, thinking that's the way God wants you to live? God has created you and me for fellowship. God has created us for relationship. First, relationship with Him, right? God number one. Relationship with others. Relationship number two. And then fellowship, coming together, eating together. How awesome is it when we get together? If you've never done it, you don't understand. But how awesome is it when you come together and just eat together? Especially if somebody in the church can cook really good, right? Uh, you, you can't wait till church. My kids used to love eating at church. That was their favorite thing because they knew Miss So-and-so was going to make this or they was going to make a beeline to get all of that they could before anyone else got it. Uh, but we understand, we called them potlucks, and then 
course, as we have those sometimes, we, we, we like to get together and, and sample everyone's food. Now, as a pastor, it's terrible because everybody's watching me fix my plate, right? And I usually let Wendy fix my plate or ask one of the ladies to fix my plate because I'll eat whatever they put on my plate. Because if I go down the line, everybody's looking, is he getting my sweet potato casserole? Is he getting my potato salad? And they'll watch all the way down to see what I put on my plate. Did you, Pastor, did you like that salad? And I don't know what to say. If I hated it, I'm going to go, it was interesting, right? Because it's not necessarily my, my I, I don't know how to actually respond. Because sometimes you get some food that's not so good as well. Amen? On a potluck. So we, we, when we come together, we love to fellowship together. Today, how many of you are going to go out and have a fellowship or get together at your home somewhere, even if it's just your immediate family, and just have conversation? You just want to talk to each other and tell about your week, what happened this week. You would not believe what happened at school. You won't believe what happened at home. And you have a conversation, what, what happens? If you're not having that fellowship, I want to encourage you, start today. Start today. And then have more fellowship. Get into another group and say, that's why we have our catalyst groups. You're missing out if you don't come at 9 and get into a catalyst group. We have one for every age, or more than one for every age. You can be a part of something of people of like kind and hear their sorrows and their trouble and be together. This is what Paul is telling the church. Hey, remain at your calling. How you're recalled, verse 20, let each one remain. Stay there. If you're single, be single. If you're married, be married. If you're widowed, be widowed. If you're divorced, be divorced. If you're separated, be separated. But with all the idea is for reconciliation, come back together. You understand? So if you're single, will God ever call you to be married? Well, look in the room. Everybody that's married used to be single, right? So he will change your calling. There's a time and place. You'll change careers or whatever it might be. You'll change cars. You'll change homes. There's a lot of things you'll change. But in this specific way, if God's called you, then you transition from being single to being married. Has God called you if you're a widow? Listen, stay a widow unless, he tells a lot later, unless widows can't, that they need to be married. If you don't have the gift of staying widowed or single, you have to get married. what he said in the instructions. And, and somebody's made some jokes about, well, did Paul just want us to have this intimate relationship? Was he all about just the intimate relationship that comes between man and woman? Well, no, but he knew mankind, right? And he was inspired by God to write it. Mankind was made to, Adam and Eve, be fruitful and do what? That was the first command. So they enjoyed it. It was, it was to be enjoyed in, in marriage, that intimate relationship. Again, I know children are in the room. So it, but it also was to bring an example. Marriage, your marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. Does he love his church? Could you imagine Jesus ever divorcing us? He said, I'm done with you. What did he say to you? Never will I leave you nor forsake you. Right? Do not, how many marriages have been here? And, and when we do vows, we're holding vows, or I've been in weddings that are here. And what do we say? Till death do us what? How many of us, don't raise your hand, how many people have lied? Because the divorce rate in the church is just as high as it is in the world. God forbid. Our marriages should be a picture of Christ and his church. Amen? All right, let's continue because it gets even better. The questions get wilder and crazier. And you say, these people should have known better. They didn't, and neither do we sometimes. We know better, but we don't act better sometimes. Were you called while a slave? Well, this is going to get offensive, right? Do not be concerned about it because Rome was full of slavery. It was terrible. The master could kill a slave anytime he wanted to. But if you can be made free, rather use it. Meaning, rather use it. There's two translations understanding there. Rather remain a slave and be a godly slave or rather get out from under that slavery and stay a freed man and live for Jesus. Got it? Let's continue. He's going to go through and he's addressing everyone. Verse 22, for he is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Meaning if you are under bondage, 
to someone else, you're still made free because of Jesus Christ. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. And that's what Paul called himself. We are the slaves, the bond servants of the Most High God. Does that offend anybody? That makes me happy to think, listen, who's my master? Because he said you can't have two masters. You must love one or you'll hate the other, right? You can't serve God and money. Everybody's chasing money these days. What's chasing money doing for people? I was just talking to somebody this morning, and uh, somebody was telling me that people didn't trust the banks, and they buried their money. Y'all ever seen the old Hatfield-McCoy kind of things up in the mountains that you bury your money in mason jars and put it in the ground? said when the man dug it up, it was all mush. And be careful that, listen, what you do with, with your resources. Don't love money because what's happened, if you love money, it's going to take you far, far away from God. You, you won't have right relationships. You, you won't have right fellowships. You won't have time for anyone else. It's always about making the dollar. And every time, listen, that overtime check's good or that extra investment return is good, but it's not as good as having a sweet kiss from your wife. It's not as good as hugging your children or high-fiving or fist-bumping uh, your neighbor in the church. It's, it doesn't equate. There's no, nothing on the earth that can equate to having relationship and fellowship, first with God and then with others. There's nothing quite like it. Paul is very clear of that. He says 23, hey, slaves, that's us, by the way, we're slaves. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men, meaning don't give in to the ways of the world. Even if you are in bondage, if you were actually in slavery, this is around the world. Slavery is at its highest rate ever in the world. Did y'all know that today? Around the world, there's still slaves around the world. We even talk about the trafficking that's happened with children. It's a terrible thing. Uh, Paul's saying very clearly, listen, you're freed in Christ and He's never going to leave those people nor forsake them as well that are in slavery. You were bought with a price. What's the price, church? What's the redemption price that you were bought with? It's the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we, we're going to celebrate. How many of you are going to celebrate Easter this year somewhere? If you're a guest or a member. We're going to celebrate Easter, right? We're going to celebrate the death, burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to say he really did come. He really did live a pure life. He really did die on a cross. He really was buried in a borrowed tomb, and he really did rise again the third day, and he really lives forevermore. Amen? That's the freedom that we have in the bondage under Christ. It makes no sense to the world. They're like, what are you talking about? That makes no sense. It didn't make sense to me either. I heard it. I don't know how many times before Christ called me and Christ changed my life. But once you're in, listen, you're in. Amen? That's a good news for today. That is, this is the gospel of good news. Verse 24, brethren, let each one remain with God in the state in which he was called. Then he's going to go and give some instructions to the unmarried and widows. And he's going to talk to dads. In this culture, dads would very much be in charge of their daughters, his virgin daughters, whether he was going to decide to, to give her away or to, uh, and there's dowries that were paid around the world still today. And so I want you to read that. We're not going to read all of that scripture because it's very detailed for the culture, but how many of you guys, men, had to ask for your wife's hand in marriage? Anybody have to go to the father and say, could I marry your daughter? Raise your hand. Look around. So we understand this principle still today. What if the dad said no? Well, that's how they make it's called eloping, right, uh, today. But then you couldn't get away. You were stuck in that city. You couldn't get away. If the dad said no, it was a hard no up until you could pay a dowry or convince him otherwise. And so he talks about the, those, um, that situation for the family. And for Christian dads, moms, and dads, I've asked this to students, and I've asked it to I've asked it of ourselves. If your father or mother could you could they pick you as a, a spouse? Let's say a, a spouse to be on the other side of the planet, and you marry that person, could you live happily ever after? Yes or no? Yes. Why? 
Because love, Tina Turner asked us, right, what love got to do with it, right? She had been a different alternative. She was fitted good in the Corinthian church. But love is, 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 is the beginning. But it, it's doggone hard work to stay married, is it not? Amen? It takes sacrifice. And when Paul says your body, ladies, is your husband's body, and men, your body is your wife's body, what happens is that means i got to give some control over to the other person. When I say I do, that, that's a bigger I do than, uh, than you are guaranteeing for, right? Because the I do's hurt because for better or for worse, we're like, well, we really mean for better, right? In sickness and in health, we really mean in health, right? We choose the good stuff. We say the other one, but we mean the good one, right? We always choose the best, and we're so happy. Walk out of here, we're in love. Oh, they're so in love. We have pictures. We spend so much money on pictures and, and weddings, and then we get out of here, and people went dead after the wedding, and then they turn back around, and they can't stand each other after a year. Why? Because we put so much emphasis on love, and love is very much you should love your spouse. But you actually start, who's your father and mother going to pick for you if they could pick? Look around. Look around. If your father and mother could pick, would they pick the spouse that you have, the person has, you can nudge the person beside you. My mom would never let me have, uh, marry you, right, my daddy? Yeah, your parents are going to pick the very best for their child. They're going to choose what they believe, what their, whatever their characteristics of a perfect, perfect marriage would be. They're going to choose somebody who is upstanding. They're going to choose somebody who would, who would not cause you harm. They're going to make those choices and say, I believe this is right. And a Christian parent is going to say, he must love Jesus, number one. She must love Jesus, number one, because the Bible is very clear. Do not be unequally yoked. And we know so many people who got married. Well, well Pastor, I'm, if I just get married, I'm going to change him. I know I'm going to bring him to church, and he's going to change, or she's going to change. And listen, when that yoke gets around your neck, the bigger, stronger ox snatches, and it's always the sinful one usually, snatches the other person around. What about Paul? Paul talks about getting married. Paul said, listen, and getting, if you're married, they're asking a question. Should we divorce Satan spawned now that I'm married, right? And now that I'm married to Christ? No. What? Stay together. Now you're unequally yoked, but what happens? It's like we talked about last week that the children are sanctified or holy. All that means is, and we gave the example, Philip's translation came up with this, actually the corralling of, if you will, the Holy Spirit is now the cowboy with you riding, and it corrals your children, and it corrals your spouse into the corral so that every day they have to see you smile. Every day they have to hear you talk about Jesus. Or every day they might turn on the music. They might start smoking, drinking alcohol, blowing smoke in your face. <clears throat> they might do anything to make your life miserable. But what you have to do is remember J-O-Y. You keep putting Jesus first, J. You put others uh, second. Keep it in order. And then you put yourself last. You serve others as you would serve Christ. Then and only then, when we actually act like Jesus, guess what we do? We get his results. Isn't that amazing to think about? Let me get to your notes really quick before we run out of time today. I want you to see this. It's very simple from your scripture. And I need to do some my grammatical corrections. But I want us to go back, before we read this passage, go back and, and actually Paul's going to write a second letter to the church of Corinth. And can you go all the way back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Because he kind of offers a summary about the gospel, and he offers a summary of who we are in Christ. Let me read this to you, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 as well. It's, so it's 517. By the way, for my Catalyst class, that's where I got that from this morning. I wrote 517, but it's 2 Corinthians 517. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What does the Bible say? He's what? He, meaning he and she, is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. Well, your spouse might not like the new things. Did you know that? 
if they're still living in the old way, the old system, the old party, they don't really like the new you, the new way, the new church, the new gospel conversation. They don't like the new because guess what? You didn't like the new when they first started, right? When you first started, you didn't like the new before you were converted, before you become a Christian. So you got a new and an old together. So the new way affects the person in the old way. And the old person goes, listen, you're an idiot. That's why they were walking around. I cannot believe you would say these things. What are you doing, you holy roller? That's where we get all these nicknames from, right? Did any of y'all ever call someone that before you became a Christian? I used to turn on the Christian radio just to make fun of preachers. J. Vernon McGee, y'all know, you ever heard him on 91.7 or 107.1? Friends, he talks like that out of, out of Texas. I used to turn him on when I was in the military just to make fun of him. And guess what God was doing the whole time I was making fun? Because I used to try to mimic voices. I, I was pretty good at it. God was pounding me with his holy word the whole time. I'm making fun of this guy. I'm actually hearing the gospel, and I've become a Christian. Guess who one of my favorite preachers to listen to today is? Stinking J. Vernon McGee. He's dead, but yeah. J. Vernon McGee, I have to listen to his voice, but he resonates with me because the old me thought he was foolish and funny and trying to learn that voice. The new me says amen every time he speaks. Amen, amen. He was a Presbyterian preacher, not even a Baptist, and I still like him. How about that? I love to hear the man preach, and, and I have his commentaries. I, I read his work still. Paul says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has been reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry. This is our job of reconciliation. That's that power of the Holy Spirit coming in and corralling that spouse, loving them, not to hurt them. Man, we want them to have what we have. That is, and this is friends and family as well, and even people we don't know. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. We have a job to do is to tell the good, good news over and over again that Jesus loves you and he wants you to be a part of his family. He wants you to have a love relationship with him. He even goes further to say this in verse 20. <clears throat> now then we are ambassadors for Christ. Everybody say that out loud, ambassadors for Christ. That's who you are if you're a Christian. You have this responsibility for the king. As though God were pleading through us, me and you, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. Paul's, if you will, begging the church, be reconciled. Paul knows what it's like. Paul was a terrorist of Judaism. Did y'all know that? He tried to kill the church. Anytime there was Christians, he wanted to arrest them and jail them and even kill them. For he made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, that's you and me, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Is that a wonderful Savior or what? It is God who did all things. It's God who draws us to himself. It's God who paid the price. It's God who makes you the offer. It's God saying, whosoever will may come, will you come and have a love relationship with me? He says, if you come, all those things, those pressures you're living under, all that sin weight, listen, sin gets heavy, and you can see it in people's faces, can you not? You can see it in their actions. Sin gets so heavy, people don't know what to do with this burden, and Jesus says, come to me, I'll make your burdens what? Light, meaning I'm going to carry them for you. It's amazing, our God, that we serve. Go back to your notes, I want you to see this. Every Christian is unique and is accountable for his or her choices and conduct. Did you know that? That you're responsible and you're going to be standing before God one day? We had a funeral here this week. And just this week, there was a, there was a, a box here with the remains of a, of, a, of a gentleman who passed away. His wife told me, and didn't know them necessarily very specifically, said he came to church, sat in the back, and she said, Town Creek's where he found God. I said, well, I understand what you're saying, but really it's where God found him, right? 
Because God has to invite you to his party. You don't get to come anytime you want to just because you want to. He's got to invite you. And how do he invite you? Uh, he invites you through his word and through the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want you to see, second part of 17 there. It says this, every Christian was and is called. Now, it's both. Because he was talking to the Corinthian church, and he's also calling us today. Every Christian that's here today was called by God. God always initiates salvation. It's always God who initiates salvation. John 6, 44, Jesus was very clear, right? What did he say? No one comes to the Father, how? Unless how? He's drawn by the Father. It's a request that actually God puts in before, if you will, to our hearts that, hey, I want you to come to me. Verses 18 through 20, we just covered, says this, Christians must be the person or the people God has called them to be. We have a responsibility to do this. Our lives must be brought under the authority of God's word. If God's word says it for us, that's the authority coaching manual that we have in our life. We cannot go against it. We can disagree with it. We can sin against God and go against it, but we can't go against it when it actually speaks with truth and clarity. We should be the best you could be just as you might envision the Lord being. How should he be? If I work in sanitation work, if I'm a CEO, if I'm a, if I'm a cook, how should I be? Be the very best one that you can be as unto the Lord. Everything you do. If I'm a husband, how do I treat my wife? As Christ loved the church, you should actually love your wife that much. How should a wife submit to her own husband? As she submits to the Lord. You see some rebellious wives against their husbands? It's because they're not, they're not submitting themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not honoring Christ in their life. They're, they're, they're just not. And the same thing in our lives. We can look at ourselves saying, am I a husband or that wife? Am I doing what Scripture says to do? Am I putting myself under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ? Therefore, I'm putting myself under the authority of my husband or my wife because we share in this thing we call holy matrimony, right, this marriage. We have to be like Jesus is the way I'd sum that up. Be like Jesus. Now, we say sometimes, what would Jesus do? And you're not Jesus, so you can't do what he did. He could just go like that. Make, he could turn bread, a few fish and, and a few bread to, to many. Right, So he would do something different. than you. We would never know what he would do because he's God. But be like Jesus. Be on the righteous way. Next, God, God becomes a priority. He's number one in the Christian's life when we abide with him. And I should have put this in there. We are valuable to God. We were bought at a precious price, paid by Christ, as I talked about before. We're valuable. You ever think of your value? Well, yes, Pastor, my net worth. I'm not asking about your net worth in dollars. Because as soon as the government's changed the dollar, your net worth is zero. Amen? I've, I've laughed this week. I was telling somebody else. They were telling me about all the weapons they have and how much food storage they have. And I'm like, you are so ignorant. And they're like, well, I ain't nobody coming. I was like, the U.S. military has snipers. One sniper bullet through your head, they're eating all your groceries, shooting all your guns. Right? So if you think you're somebody going to stand up against the U.S. military, our law enforcement, if SLED comes in, our the tactical teams come in, it's going to be that quick and it's over and they're going to eat your groceries. So don't brag on what you have. If you have it, put it deep in a hole, I guess, and stay low. I don't know. But don't build your life about stuff that you have and think that you think you're going to win. You're going to die. I told everyone in that funeral, I said, I told our church, and I'll tell you again, if you're past the age of 35, you're half dead. If you're 80 or over, you're in overtime. Come on, am I telling the truth? He says 70 or 80 if you're strong. Does, it, does the Bible not say that? No, we know people lived 100. Anybody know anybody that lived to be 150 years old besides Methuselah and the Old Testament saints? Anybody know anybody today 150 years old? Anybody know anybody 125 years old today? 
Anyone know anybody personally that's 100 years old today? Personally. All right? One person. So how shall we live if we know that there's a dead end to this thing called life here on earth? How should we live today knowing that at any moment we could actually die and be face-to-face, if you will, with glory if you're a Christian? Are you going to face him as a judge knowing that it's coming? Listen, if the, God, if the Bible's true and it is, judgment day is coming. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Do you hear me? Once to die and then the judgment. Once to die and then the judgment. That's you. You can put your name. Clint Smith will die and I will face the Lord Jesus Christ one day. You're going to put your name in that same situation. The man, the woman in the mirror is going to face the Lord. What have you done with what he's given you today? It's a powerful thing that Paul is, is telling the church. Well, the Apostle Paul, verse 24, the Apostle Paul gives and he gave, I should say, instructions to singles, widows, married, separated, and divorced people. His focus is on living for Jesus in the state you find yourself. And I put the word in, you can't end that way, but in where you find yourself. Live for Jesus the way you are. If you're divorced, does he want you to reconcile? I got news for you. The answer is yes. If you're separated, can, you, can a Christian separate today from another Christian? I got news for you. The answer is yes. So we talked about this morning. Uh, what's the grounds for divorce that Jesus gave? You know what it was for? For infidelity. That's it. That's it. And we, some people try to interpret what Paul said last week. Well, if the spouse leaves, can I get remarried? Well, that's up for interpretation. I believe that God has that one understanding. Unless you break the covenant of marriage, you should work diligently as the Christian partner to win the soul or the heart of your mate. Because when you said, God's going to hold you accountable to your marriage vows, did you know that? He said, well, Pastor, I've already been divorced. Then remain as you are, right? If you've been divorced, remarried, ask for forgiveness because, listen, our God says very clearly, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and do what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He does, he's a God of second and third chances. Well, okay, then I'm going to do it and get permission. Well, now you're treading on thin water because what happens is you're messing with the Word of God. Because the Bible says God hates divorce. God hates it. And y'all know if you've been divorced, you know the ramifications of divorce. Amen? You go from one house payment to two house payments. You go from one car payment to two car if you have those. And you start splitting. Visitation of children. It starts getting all kind of cattywampus, right? It can get out of control. And we look at the world saying, the world's going crazy. So is the church because we're not following the holy word of God. Amen? So Paul addresses that. If you want to keep reading that, you can keep reading before if you haven't been with us. Well, the Apostle Paul, here's his focus. His focus is on living for Jesus in the state you find yourself. Wherever you find yourself, live for Jesus that way. Next, the Apostle Paul had a focus on the kingdom, the kingdom of God. He encouraged the Corinthian church to look forward to the day of Christ's return. It should be Christ's return, possibly us. Uh, we must live daily with the same expectation. The world is passing away, and Jesus is coming soon. Amen? It's the truth from the Word of God. Look at the world. What they call it, what does the world call it? Climate change, right? Is the world getting hotter? Peter says it's going to get so hot, it's going to be consumed by fire. So climate, and listen, global warming's about to happen sometime in the near future. Amen? All right, let's continue. God, through Paul, instructed the Corinthian church to live as if Jesus was and is the proper authority in our lives. Do we live that way, church? Is he the proper authority in your lives? He wanted the church to serve God without distractions because everybody's saying, if you're single, stay single. If you're married, you've got to be married. If you're divorced, you've got to be divorced. If you're, everybody kept having these rules. What if you're in an abusive relationship? Should you stay in that relationship in the marriage? 
well, here's, well, here's how pastors are getting sued and we're getting all kind of, what does the Bible say? Does God give permission for Christians to separate? Nobody wants to answer because like, oh, is that a trick question? The answer is you may separate. But what happens? What's the purpose of separation? So that you might figure out, get good godly counsel and come back and reconcile in the near future. You don't just divorce because I don't like him or I don't like him or she don't like me. But if you're getting abused, what should you do? The Bible says, watch, there's another issue on that. If a spouse is getting abused, man or woman. We've got to get back over to Timothy. God ordained government to punish evil. Did you know that's what it's for? Even though our government is evil today, right? It's turning evil. But the government was designed by God to punish evil. So if you have a spouse that's abusive, guess what you should do? Nine, one, one. You put his sorry behind in jail. You put her sorry behind in jail. You can separate there for safety purposes, but until they've reconciled themselves with God, until they're right with God, don't come back into that, that, that relationship. There has to be some accountability that's held on both sides. So when people today are accusing of, of different types of abuse, I'm like, where's the jail report? Stop telling me that you're, don't come to me and counsel, Pastor, my husband's being abusive. Because all I'm going to tell you is, oh, stop. Did you call the police? Well, no, they, they won't do anything. Call the police. Don't come to the preacher before you go to the police. Get your P's in order, right? Police before the preacher if he's hitting you, right? If she's hitting you. I can't do anything about it. I'm not going to go beat him up for you. I'm not going to stand in the gap in that sense. I'll pray for you, but I cannot do anything because God has ordained government to punish evil, not preachers. Do you understand that? We preach against evil, but God's ordained the government to do that, and that's law enforcement, just for the record. Clear is clear? All right, amen. Is it possible to live, <clears throat> here's the question, is it possible to live this Christian life on our own? The answer, I answered it for you. No, impossible. You can't do it. This is why the Holy Spirit guides us through his holy word and walks us through this life with brothers and sisters. He will make our paths straight, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Trust in the Lord. How? With all your heart, do what? Lean not on your own understanding and all of your ways, all of your ways, acknowledge him. God, you're first. He'll make your path straight. You say, well, that's too hard. Well, then quit or keep on going, amen? And by the way, there's no way to quit. You can't quit on Jesus. Lastly, is it profitable for a Christian to live God's way? The answer is, it's profitable. Here and the hereafter. When we do it God's way, church, say it with me. We always get what? God's results. We always get God's results. So here's the question I have before we close today. Where are you today with your Christian walk? Where are you? Or if you're not a Christian, listen, what are you doing? Why are you waiting? Why would you come to church week after week and not give your life to Christ? Because guess what you're going to hear every week? Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And you've got to give your life to him. He's got to draw you to himself, invite you to the party. And he does that through the preaching of his word, through the moving of the Holy Spirit. Saying, you need to make that decision. You need to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ right now. And when you submit to him, and that's a hard word, when you submit to him, say, Lord, I want what, you, what you're offering me. Listen, I want that. He sets you free. And when you know the truth, the truth sets you free is what Jesus said, right? You're set free. And y'all, I live in freedom today. I live in victory because of Jesus. Not because of Clint Smith, but because of Jesus. Amen? And you can have that same victory today as well. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we know there's so many people that are held in bondage that, Lord, they don't know sometimes which way is up, sometimes which way is down. They struggle through wanting to know if you're really real. And I pray, Lord, as we struggle through this life, that we would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
And not only just saving knowledge, but Lord, we would come to the place of actually living in victory and walking in victory because we are more than overcomers through Christ who gives us strength. I just pray for people that they don't know that. I'm thankful that you set me free so many years ago. And Lord, we can trust you because you said you'll never leave me, you'll never forsake me. You're an awesome God. I love you. In Jesus' name we pray for his sake. Amen.